Glory to God. What do y'all want to talk about? Jesus. That's right. Jesus be the center of it all. Right? You'd think that'd be the easiest thing to talk about in a church. But you'd be surprised how often people try to get you to move off of that. Right? And then they, they quote verses out of context. Like the author of Hebrews saying, let us move on unto perfection. Right? As if talking about Jesus is the milk. And then uh, we got to move on to perfection now. Now that we understand these things about Jesus, we need to go on to all these other things that we need to understand. And then they mean crazy things like angel and human hybrid babies <laughs> and, and stuff that's like, you know, born from Babylonian mythology. Right. But when the author of Hebrews says, let us move on unto perfection, he's comparing the beginning principles of Christ, which was revealed in the law given by Moses with the lamb that actually had come now, right? So in the law given by Moses, it pointed to the lamb God would provide to perfect us from sin and death. And the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, we've been introduced to the work of God to cleanse us from sin and death, to perfect us from sin and death, to sanctify us from sin and death. We were introduced to that in the law given by Moses, that it be by the work of God's hand and not the work of our own hand. But listen, guys, the lamb that the law prophesied of, the work that the law introduced us to, that God would do, that work has been done. The lamb of God has come. And the lamb of God did just like John said when John said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? And because we've been so indoctrinated with, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the bad behavior of the world, let us understand that sin there is a noun. And it's talking about a, a life that's been corrupted with death. And so behold the Lamb of God who come to take away the life that's been corrupted by death. Behold the Lamb of God that come to take away the death that was reigning over you. And so the author of Hebrews found these people still performing the rituals, thinking they would be cleansed from sin by the rituals as if they needed to be cleansed repetitively, right? Because in the old system, you were all the time being renewed, right? Or cleansed. Every year, they would perform the sacrifice. Well, the author of Hebrews comes and says, let us move on, seeing that the Lamb, the law prophesied of, has come, and let us move on, and let us start looking into the fact that we have been perfected once for all time. Your life has been cleansed from death. If we put an x-ray up and looked at your life, There'd be no spots and blemishes. You ever gotten a wrong diagnosis from a doctor? I have. You know how many, you know how many times the doctors told me I was dying? I mean, when I was in Colorado training like a madman for the Olympics, I went in for a routine inspection and they did some, uh, what do they call it when they hit your knee? Your, your reflex. Well, I guess my reflex didn't pop out the way the guy thought. The guy told me I had ALS. And that it was far progressed. And that I probably had like six months. What? And that I needed to see a specialist immediately. Oh my God. And I was like, poor Becky. I went to the office and told her. I mean, I think I think that I was like 30. Poor Becky's face just dropped. Like, you know, because Becky, you know, looks at me as like a barometer if things are okay. And she, you know, we all grow and look into the Lord instead of the people in our lives. But man, that happened. What am I going to do? What are you going to do? I'm dying. <laughs> but anyway, that was a wrong diagnosis. I went to the specialist, and the specialist was like, You ain't got ALS. <laughs> it was a wrong diagnosis. The world is all the time trying to give us a wrong diagnosis. And the reason why is because the x-ray machine or the metric by which the world tries to give us a diagnosis about our life is the life in the world that's corrupted. And so it comes and tells us, look at these spots and blemishes on your life. Look at them. Look how significant they are. What are you going to do to get rid of these spots and blemishes? And we're like, oh my gosh. Those spots and blemishes are part of the life that's of the world. But Paul would come and say that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. He wasn't talking about we're in the world, but we shouldn't go to concerts and we shouldn't go to the movies and we shouldn't hang out with the heathens at Mardi Gras. We shouldn't go to the jazz fest. We shouldn't do any of that because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. That's not what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, I'm in the world, but my life is not of the world. Just like he would come and say, uh, I was crucified with Christ. 
yet I liveth. Yet it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. What he was saying was, is his life was no more born from the world, right? And so, man, the world tries to give us these diagnoses. Moving on unto perfection is that we see God has perfected our lives from the spots and blemishes that are part of this world that Adam found it when he brought death into the earth. Adam built a life when he brought death into the earth. That life is fragile. It's corrupted. It has spots and blemishes all over it, right? And the world is all the time trying to make us conform to its system by diagnosing our life as being full of spots and blemishes. But doesn't, uh, when, you, when the scripture says moving on to perfection, doesn't that mean moving on to the fact that Christ in you is the hope of glory? You could say it that way, but in the context of Hebrews, they don't use that language. But, in the context of Hebrews, perfected would be to be perfected from death. Well, isn't that what Christ in Absolutely. Is? Yeah. So, okay. So doesn't perfected in that context mean completed? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how would you be complete? Yeah. By possessing an incorruptible and, life. And complete according to what plan? Right. So God's plan was always to have his life in us. So that's the last step of his. That's the completion. That's the completion. But it isn't just to say for my whole life I said I have the life of God. And I never really connected with what that meant because I was all the time living in the world, but afraid of all the happenstances. The religious mind would say moving on to perfection means keeping all the laws, the or, or not just these 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 ritual laws, but that all everything. You know, that also know. moving on to understand the rapture yeah. and all these different kinds of things, right? <laughs> that kind of nonsense. Instead of camping out at the work of God to cleanse us from death. Right. I like I like in Hebrews where it says, and uh, and this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken will remain. Yeah. So the things that can be shaken in this world that can affect us and testify to us that our life is not as it should be. Those things have been shaken and destroyed and what replaced it is something that cannot be shaken. And that's the testimony of God toward our lives that's right. and who we are. And it's called a testimony because it, it's almost like we have a court of law in our heart where our life is, uh, you want proof. is hanging in the balance and people are testifying <laughs> no doubt. Right, about our life. Right. And, yeah. and the world comes with the testimony about our life and it presents evidence. Yeah. It shows it to us. Some of that evidence looks very compelling. Right. Let's just be honest. There's times. Listen, I've been walking with the Lord my whole life. There's been times in my life when I've been saved for 30 years and I looked at some stuff and thought that's in the way of me having life. Right. And you become centered on it for a moment. There's no shame in that. Right. That's why we keep coming to hear the gospel, because it's easy for us to get distracted with something in our life that's corrupt. And then focus on that as if our life is corrupt, right? No, there's corruption in the earth, but we're saved from corruption, Paul, or Peter says, by God having given us his divine nature. His divine nature is his incorruptible life. So whatever corruption you think you can see, you've been saved. And so God gives a testimony. He takes the stand of our heart, right? That's the Holy Spirit interceding in our hearts with words that can't be uttered. He takes the stand in our heart and he shows us God there with us to be the shepherd of our lives, having shepherded our lives by hedging us about with his incorruptible life, right? Uh, walking in the shadow of the Almighty. What does it mean to walk in the shadow of the Almighty? I mean, we think death has a shadow. Do you know the shadow that God's eternal life casts, right? The power of that shadow. And man, walking in that shadow, the testimony of the Lord in your heart, which testimony is that life is found in his son and he hath given us of himself his incorruptible life and that life is in his son. If you have the son, you have a spotless life, a sinless life. That's why he would go and say, those who have the son cannot sin. You can't miss the mark if you have the son. To Thomas's point, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul would say it in that letter completely different because he's talking to Gentiles, but the same thought. You are complete in Christ, he would say. That's Paul's language for sanctification to Gentiles. That's Paul's language for being cleansed to Gentiles. That's his language for being perfected to Gentiles, right? You have been completed. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up uh, language because I was thinking as 
when we were talking earlier, the man on the street, they don't know anything about the Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. What the Lamb? What are you talking about the Lamb? They, I mean, I'm talking about the average, not anybody, but mm-hmm. the average person, they're illiterate when it comes to <laughs> They're illiterate when it comes to the Bible because they've never read it, but they're also blind to the truth because they don't have the Spirit. <laughs> yeah. Like Meaning, even if they were literate in the Bible and didn't, and didn't have the Spirit, they'd still be uninformed. But the point is, they don't know anything about anything that we're talking about. Yeah. So what's going to relate to them? I find that you can, <laughs> you can cut through it all by asking somebody, how are you going to come out the grave? <laughs> I mean, that's ultimately <laughs> the bottom line. How are you going to come out the grave? You're going to end up in the grave one day? Someone might give you a smart eye like the answer, like, no, I'm going to be cremated. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to stay cremated? <laughs> in other words, <laughs> you want to turn to the dust of the ground? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what is it that you want for yourself? They, they have no concept of what, and I have no concept of what God wanted for himself with regard to me. Did any of you actually even know until you yeah. heard that God actually wanted something for himself when he came to you? Yeah. He wanted you to be with him forever. So. I don't think the average person thinks about coming out of the grave. That like, think about it. They're not even thinking that's a possibility. Not consciously. Not <laughs> consciously. But I haven't found anybody who ever argued with me that they they're not going to die. Mm. Most people words, haven't every... had Thanksgiving at your house. <laughs> <laughs> Some of that could fall right in line with, though. You got to convince them that they're going to die first. It, yeah. it, it, everybody accepts, I think. Yeah. Most people do. Accept well, the fact that they're going to die. But they accept some people. Ex- now, is that a problem? For some people, that's not, is the problem. No. And I agree with what you're saying. It, 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 yeah, I've encountered that, Greg. And, and, and the way around that is are you got any children? Yeah. Yeah, boy, go, little girl. Okay, you want her to come out the grave? Mm-hmm. Yeah. People, people can be flippant about their own future mm-hmm. as a defensive mechanism, or but That's true. put put something in there, put someone in in their mind that they care about, mm-hmm. and they they will not play with that. They won't mm-hmm. play around with that issue. They say, well, no, of course not. I I, de- I de- want my daughter to have life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. How's she gonna have life beyond the grave? Yeah. What's she gonna be safe from suffering? I think for me, the way I focus on it when I'm amongst people that maybe don't know anything about the Bible, there's there's something common to every human. We've all suffered. We've all encountered trauma. We've all encountered hurt. We all want it to be we all want to be protected from hurt and from trauma. We all want to be delivered from hurt and trauma. We all want our life to be cared for. We all want our life to be cared for in a way where it can't be corrupted by hurt and trauma. And so normally what I come with is um, God has heard your cries. He's not indifferent to the suffering that's come against your life. He's not far from you. He's not uh, in the air somewhere. He's intimately acquainted with what's hurt your life. He's intimately acquainted with what's trying to destroy you. And it grieves him that the hurt you suffered. And then I go into what he did to conquer death. Because suffering. Death, I mean, everybody knows about death, but I think a lot of people, when they think about death, they just think of going to the grave one day. Right. Well, there's not a lot of pain in the grave. So at that point, really, do I care? I mean, I mean, it, depending on what some of them believe, well, I'm there and I'm not conscious. That's, but That's a calculus when it comes to suicide. Right. It'd be, it, be, better, it'd be better to be dead. Exactly. And, and so the, the suffering is common, right? The suffering's common. I think in one of the Bible studies, I went into this, you guys know how I can just go off sometimes. I went into this thing because all the, the ministers, quote unquote, in American Christianity was at the White House talking about the COVID and how, you know, if we would uh, repent and turn from our sin, God would heal our land. And I went into this thing about what we should be saying there, right? What we should be saying there is reminding all of us that God is here with us, that this COVID is not a sign that God wasn't with you. And so I would go into that. Whatever hurt they've experienced, that pain, that hurt that manifested there is not a sign God isn't with you, right? God is here with you. This COVID doesn't mean God is far from us. God is with us to deliver us from this COVID. God is with us to seal your life and protect your life from the COVID. And a revelation of your life having been cared for, right? God has cared for all of our lives. The only thing that could actually give our lives the care we want is to be sealed in incorruption. The only thing that could actually give our lives the care we want is for it to be protected from trauma. 
Well, there's only one thing that can protect your life from the trauma that's in the earth. It's called eternal life, immortality, an incorruptible life, incorruption. That's the only thing that can actually care for your life. That's the only thing that can actually cause you to overcome this world and the tribulation that's in this world. God knows that. So when God thinks of what can heal us, what can care for us, what can pamper us, what can protect us and shield us, he's, he, there's no confusion. He understands that the care they need is an incorruptible life. Right? And that's the gospel is supposed to declare the care that every human longs for, right? The care by the hand of God. And that not just that look what he did, but that it bothered this dude that you were hurting. Right? It bothered this dude that your life was suffering at the hands of the death Adam brought into the world. He's not the one who sent the death. He's not the one that let the death come. In fact, he everything he's done is to keep the death from you. Everything he did was to keep the death from entering into the earth, from the death being able to overcome you. And he keeps reaffirming that, right? And so when you express, people want to know. I think Jim Dixon, when he was in Bible uh, seminary, they would take him all down to Mardi Gras and send out the students to go minister to people. And Jim said he went and found this homeless guy that was like really destitute, like, Guy had probably been drinking for years on the street. Just and Jim came down there, started trying to, you know, tell the Baptist theological seminary gospel. And the guy just basically cussed him out, told him to shut up, and said, Why don't you come live with me for a week and learn about my life before you come telling me this nonsense? And so people want to know that someone cares about the hurt they felt. And they, they want to know that someone knows, right? And, and the gospel declares not just that God cares, but that God knows. Because God subjected himself to the death that was in the world, right? He put on a body that could taste all the, that could hear the hurt, the pain, the trauma, that could feel all the things we felt when we encountered death. He put on a body that could feel every ounce of that. He put on a mortal body. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, it says. And so not only does he care, he knows. And the gospel is the declaration of a God that's so close to you that he's felt all that pain that has caused you hurt with you. And he weeps with you. That's that Brennan Manning thing. What's funny is I almost played it on the video today where Brennan Manning uh, said he knew a Hasidic rabbi. They said he learned the meaning of love from two drunkards in a bar. When the one drunkard said to the other one, I love you, man. And the other one said, if you love me, tell me what hurts me. And the guy said, what are you talking about? I don't know what hurts you. How can you say you love me if you don't know what hurts me? Right? And he goes on to tell a story of an Episcopal priest who didn't really know Jesus, yet had spent his whole life in the church, pastoring, came to an end, the end of himself. You'll feel empty if you're out there in ministry and you're not like really connected with the real God. You're connected with like a caricature. This guy left his family, abandoned everything, went to a logging company in Vermont and stayed in like, you know, a little trailer with paper thin walls. It got to be like negative 20. And he was cursing God and his heater broke. The little portable heater. He took the heater, cursing God, and he threw it, but he missed the wall and it went through the window. He said he fell on his face crying. He said right then in that moment, he heard Jesus crying, not for him, with him. And in that moment, he became persuaded that God Almighty was intimately acquainted with what hurts him and that God Almighty cares. The dude got up, went and reconciled with his family, and went on to pastor the most spirit-filled church in the Washington area, just from that revelation. And so people want to know that God cares and that God knows. Then the next step is, but can he do something about it, right? And then you get into what has he done, right? And now you start unwrapping that like a present. <laughs> you know, I, I, now, maybe 15 years ago, somebody would have been talking to me about eternal life like this. It might have taken me a second to understand its application. Because I was in a different system, still thinking my life was of this world. 
and that now I was going to use the gospel to perfect the life I had from the world. Instead of seeing the gospel was, no, God bringing forth something in you where you feel so loved by him because you see how he cared for your life, that you lay down the life you have from the world. The life you have from the world is the life that torments you. The answer isn't to try to fix the life you have from the world. One thing you'll always need with the life you have from the world. The answer is to put it off, right? And to be clothed in the life of God. And so now, man, when someone talks, eternal life is like this gift at Christmas that I've always wanted, and now I'm just feverishly unwrapping it. And the thing about it is, is like each layer you unwrap is lovely goodness, but then there's more to unwrap, and you can just keep unwrapping. But it's like this feverish excitement of unwrapping and unveiling the life that God has given you, that cares for you, that protects you, that cleanses you, that gives you a sound mind, that fills you with the grace of God, the strength of God, that animates you with the love of God right? That causes you to no longer take thought of your own life. You go back to being like a little child when you were no longer worried, when you weren't worried about your life and you weren't thinking about all the things you need for your life to be cared for. You were just living innocently and you go back to living like that, right? That's, that's what people need. The, the interesting thing about what you say, Thomas, is when Jesus came, he had both things going on. He had a world that was highly educated in the scriptures and God that he, you wouldn't think they need to be evangelized, but they do. And so he came setting straight all of their thoughts about the scriptures. But then you also have the Gentile people that maybe didn't have as good of an understanding of that. And he's ministering to everybody. I find the body of Christ is in need of being evangelized as much as unbelievers are. And I find with the body of Christ, the easiest way for them to be evangelized is to get into their terminology and express it accurately, right? That's how we're going to win people that are in corrupted doctrine, right? A guy posted on Twitter, evangelicals, you know, if we would just get back to studying the word. And he said something like that. And I retweeted it and put a caption and said, the illiteracy of the modern day evangelical church is because they've, uh, they've given more credence to the traditions of Calvin than they have the word made flesh, right? And so the way you iron that out is you come in and start explaining the scripture. Right? But to your point, if I'm on the basketball court in New Orleans, if I'm down at Mardi Gras, I ain't going into uh, you know, verses in Hebrews. I'm not quoting a verse to these dudes to try to explain unless they, they bring it up to me. Right, I'm just talking about the common theme that every human, you ain't going to find a human that ain't been hurt, that ain't suffering hurt, that ain't trying to deal with some hurt, and that ain't trying to find peace from some hurt Right out there. And so we're all very well acquainted with that. And so immediately we can identify with that. We know. And there's a beautiful thing. The God we come declaring, he can also identify. And he knows. Right? Jesus. I mean, he held out his hands, didn't he? Look. Look at He knows. I mean, this dude knows. We're not busy with the God that don't know. And it's like throwing us a bone. We're not busy with the God that's giving us scraps. We're busy with the God that's so intimately acquainted with our hurt that he's given us all of himself, right? He offered up himself to heal us. But you know what's so interesting is that even the modern church, even the evangelicals, we're, at least from where I came from, is that eternal life was just something you got when you died. It wasn't anything that you had here on earth. So even when you, you speak about eternal life, and like you were just saying, it's a gift that we have now that we can just keep opening the layers and it's just deeper and deeper. Unless you really understand the true Christ, you don't understand eternal life. Right. When you speak about eternal life to people, they look at you like, you've got, like of course I have eternal life. Well, it's good. When I die, I'm going to go there yeah. rather than it being here. Right. You know? The interesting mm -hmm. thing about that is... In, that's, that's where Western evangelicalism is centered on, is the afterlife. Yeah. But yet, Jesus talked about eternal life constantly, and it, he did address the afterlife, but he didn't do it a whole lot. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of focus in that arena. Because eternal life is always now. Yeah, <clears throat> or it's not eternal. But, but to your point, Michelle, you're, you're right. One of the big stumbling blocks there is Western evangelicalism, Western Christianity has made the gospel about you're a worm and you need to not be a worm anymore. Right. And so they don't, they never see the problem as death. 
And so they never see the thing that torments our life is death or having a life that's perishable. So they center all of their theology about thinking about making the outside of the cup clean and how God was so angry with us because the outside of our cup was unclean, right? And so they spend all of their time trying to put deodorant on, right? You know, like these mortal bodies we have, when they sweat, they don't smell good. The filthiness of the flesh, (laughs) the filthiness of a mortal body. And we're all the time putting on deodorant so that we don't stink, right? Well, the Western evangelical church is basically basically putting on deodorant, thinking that God despises us for the filthiness of our flesh because our flesh stunk because our bad behavior. And now the gospel is about how we got to put on deodorant so we no longer stink, right? Instead of focusing on, no, 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 we were all our days in bondage through the fear of death. We were all our days living by the sweat of our brow, which caused the filthiness of the flesh to come out of us, which is the fruit of death. Because we were afraid of dying, not just going to the grave, but every time we encountered something that told us we didn't need what we didn't have what we needed for life, stung our hearts. And it brought forth lust and sin in us where we tried to gather life to ourselves. Then our flesh is sweating, stinking, right? And so the answer is the death. And so the solution is to be persuaded you have a life now that comes behind a no good thing that isn't in need of the things in this world in order to be full and complete, right? Why do you think they don't want to let go of the I'm filthy, I'm nothing but rags without the Jesus suit? Like, what do you think is in in that? Because I have two girls who are exactly like that. Well, I think they've been taught wrong. Yeah, but, but they don't even want to hear it another way. That, that, I mean, it, it, it's, it's each individual person you could get into why they don't want to hear it another way, right? You could have a, a different, a, per, a different person could say a different thing. I mean, a, a big pastor, a pastor of a big gigantic church, when someone that listens to us confronted them with a bunch of the stuff we say, the, the guy's words were, well, I see what they're saying there, but how come everybody else isn't saying that? And therefore it can't be true, right? And so... It 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 becomes that's one of the things, but there's a number of different things. I can I can say that innate within humanity, there is this belief system that through our knowledge of good and evil, that we can attain a godlike state, and that is a lie. It came from the garden, emanated from the garden. So we believe that. I know right from wrong, good from evil, and I'm going to work these principles, these ideas, and life is going to be good for me. We believe that that's how you operate in this world. And it's not just me or you. The whole world believes that way. And until you're saved from that belief system through the circumcision of the spirit, whereby you are circumcised from believing that godlikeness or godliness, if you want to apply it to religion, is attained through the knowledge of good and evil, until you're circumcised from that belief system and say, no, it's not through my works and my efforts or my knowledge of good and evil. It's a gift that came to me through Christ. We're going to believe that way. And, And that belief system permeates religion. It is the basis of just about all human religion, whether it be Christian or Buddhist, Maoist, Taoist, or whatever you you want to call it, it it permeates all human religion. And, but it is a lie and it brings death and it is a life of death. But when you say, when you repent from that belief system and say, I don't believe that it is through my knowledge of good and evil, that I'm going to attain godlikeness or a godlike state, but I'm going to receive the life that comes from him, then you find yourself thinking and reasoning about life in a way we were designed to. There's a way that seems, I mean, that you could you could say a bunch of different things, but to Maurice's point, the verse that said there's a way that seems right to a person, right? Well, it seems right to us that when we when we see murder coming out of somebody, Envy, gossiping, and backbiting, 
it's real easy for us to look at that and say, that's not the fruit of life. And so if we're not like caught up with the Lord and his way of thinking, we could think that behavior is the problem. And that makes sense to us, right? All of us have people in our lives that we maybe think ain't behaving the right way. What do we think about them? I mean, let's just be honest. Do you know how challenging it is for your thoughts about a person who's behaving that way? Do you know how challenging it is to think on them differently, right? And so it's easy to look at that and think, okay, this is the problem, right? And the solution is for us to no longer act that way. So it becomes a behavioral gospel. And it's true. When you become stung with the word of a life that overcomes death in the flesh, you'll stop laboring for your own life and that will produce the fruit of the Spirit in you. Peace and love and joy and all those kinds of things. And so you won't find yourself murdering and gossiping and backbiting. So people have this basic knowledge that the life doesn't, God likeness doesn't look like murder and envy and gossiping and backbiting. Therefore, if you have that, right, you're, you're the, the enemy of God. You're the devil. And then God would hate you and all this kind of a stuff. And they build their theology on that. And they build their theology on Calvin. I mean, traditions are strong things. There's a reason why they're called traditions. It's because they're not easily let go of. And so the traditions that Calvin established, whereby uh, it's retributive justice that we're busy with, that would cause people to really get implanted in that, in that tradition. And then once you're involved in a tradition, and all of like the systems are built around this tradition, you feel great cognitive dissonance when you encounter things that contradict that. And most people don't want to hear it because they feel uncomfortable and they feel pained because they want to believe they already know. They want to believe that they're right, right? And a lot of times people want to believe they're right more than they want to believe on the truth. And it, it can be a very painful thing to, to say, no, there's one who knows, right? People think I know something. If I know anything, it's because the Lord took me to a place one day when I said, there's one who knows. And I was actually willing to lay down everything I thought about everything. I came to the place where I realized I don't know and neither does anyone else. And I'm not going to build what I know about the Lord based on what other people have said, what other people know, what other people think. And I got to the place where I was just like, Lord, show me. And I'd already been in Bible college. And that was a painful thing. It took him a while for him to get me to lay it down to where I would even listen. And even after I did that, it was an ongoing process. I mean, we had already started the church. And if you go back and listen to the first like two months of messages, you still hear me with a little bit of peppered language about God forsook Jesus. And I, was, I, I, know, I remember that time clearly because every time I said it, I cringed on the inside because God was telling me that wasn't true. But I had all this tradition, and, and I could point to verses. And I, it took God a while for me to lay that down and for him to show me. And I, 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 I clearly remember now, and I've said it a bunch of times, I think he said something to me like, because I would he'd be telling me, how can I forsake Jesus? How can I forsake myself? <laughs> how can Jesus be God and I be God, and now me forsake him? Can the Godhead still exist if one does He was telling me all these things, and I was pointing to verses. What about this verse? What about that? that? That's Calvin. What about this verse? What about that verse? And then God said, let me your eyes, and I'll change what you see. And I did, and he did. I would answer your question with a question. How did your, how did your thinking change on that? Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. I think a lot yeah, of people... The only thing I would add to what Mo said is that when he talks about repentance, which is a change of mind, is it happens to you. Yeah, so that, that happened to you, right? Mm -hmm. How did it happen to you? I just kept doing things. All right, so there's your answer. Yeah. But they don't want to hear it. Well, but I mean, I didn't want to hear. I didn't well. want, when I was on Bourbon Street partying, and I saw the guy talking about you know Jesus, I was like, he's trying to make it so I can't have fun. I didn't want to hear it. Okay, but you can still. The fact that they're exposed to you means they're exposed to Jesus. Yeah, even if it doesn't seem direct, right? Yeah, you you keep hearing, and God keep fathering your life. Right. And it will become like a tree of life in their midst. Right. There's more than one way for a person's theology to be confronted. 
right? And so there's a very direct way. And I found in my own life, when my direct way wasn't working, I felt hopeless. And I, I remember God was like, no, no, no. You just keep walking with me and I'll keep filling you with life, right? And that life is going to end up being a testimony. And it's going to keep confronting, it's, right? Yeah, yeah, it's curious. In my situation, they think, they think that we have, we've walked away from Christ because I'm not doing what I used to do. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's kind of crazy, but uh, when you think you're going to change somebody's thinking and you pursue to change somebody's thinking, not that in a conversation you can't share and truth be exchanged, but when, when you look at the world around you and you think that you're going to change the world, you got the truth. They ain't got the truth, but you think you can change the world because you know the truth and they don't know the truth. That is an exercise in futility. We really are not going to, you can't change the world. Oh, or, I don't even talk to you about so, that. So, no, I know, I, I know, I know yeah. that. But what, the point is this the point is that when you're thinking those people don't know, and I do know, you begin, you're kind of operating out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, believing that you're going to convince somebody of a truth that they're ignorant of. But when you are operating out of the spirit, the spirit of love and truth and, and, and graciousness and hope and everything that's in Christ, when you're just operating your life in that manner, it will kind of naturally relate to the people around you that, will have, that can have great effect. But, but when, you, when you're pursuing the effect, you you find yourself frustrated with that. I know that that's the case in my life. You know, and that when I'm trying to change somebody, or yeah, change somebody's yeah, and stuff. I don't try to change them at all. I don't. We don't even have the conversation. That, that's a conversation none of us have anymore because we right. have to do with that. And yeah. Michelle, to loop back and pay deepest respect to something that Greg touched on. Uh, different people stand their ground for different reasons, mm -hmm. and only the living Christ can under understand. So for example, uh, at one death, Jesus wept. And then people turn back to religion. Everyone has to weep. Hold on now. In another instance, let the dead bury the dead. Hold on now. We aren't finished yet. At another instance, uh, hey, chill. She's only sleeping. So what Greg said is that, well, there's no one pat answer. The living Christ will divinely discern why they stand their ground for whatever reasons. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. or, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think, you know, I'll speak as a fool now. Whenever somebody says something like that to me, and I, I don't hear it anymore because when you get that enough, and okay, let's look at that, and they see how foolish the statement is, I'll speak as a fool now. I challenge anybody to find any church or any minister that talks and says and mentions Jesus more than we do here. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, we've walked away from so, somehow some idea <laughs> if you took our if we took a sample of 10 messages from any church and took a sample of 10 messages from our church and we counted the number of times that Jesus and Christ and trusting in him is mentioned, I promise you we would be 100 times to their one times. Yeah. And then also when I when I talk with people that don't understand what I'm saying and they, they want to bring up works. And that, it doesn't happen anymore. I digress to the works. And I always say, well, since we're speaking as fools, I'll also speak as a fool, right? And if I start getting into everything I do to minister Jesus all around the world, you're going to be hard-pressed to find someone laboring more than me, right? And it ain't out of some uh, duty to, to God or some type of demand. It, it has nothing to do with that. I said I've been animated by the strength of God, yes. right? And so those those are just foolish arguments. To use worldly language, that's called strawman. That's where you create some nonsense to avoid having to actually engage, right? Now, I don't want to really engage on the merits, so I'll say this. We see it in the political realm all the time. Mm -hmm. they, they don't want to engage in the merits of the, 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 the argument, if we want to call it that. So they create something where they don't have to, Right. Yeah, I think that's a red herring. I remember when I first came across GRC, that was the one thing that stood out to me the most because any ministry or vein of Christianity I ever ran across, I was looking at 
what came out of it and what came out of it was everybody talking about their church or their pastor. <laughs> Very little being said about Jesus. But I come across this group and it's like, whoa, all they want to talk about is Jesus. What's going on here? To a fault. I've run people off because I won't stop talking about Jesus. <laughs> I mean, you think, it, you think it sounds funny, but I'm not kidding. There's people that come to me and, and told me that before, right? <laughs> I'm like, listen, Jesus is the most practical thing that there is. I know the world's idea of practical means give me something to apply to my life, but tell me what pra what's practical about sitting at the feet of Jesus. And allowing God to give birth to his life in you. The only practical thing there is with the gospel is what Jesus said. There's one thing needful, sit at the feet of Jesus. Well, how are you sitting at the feet of Jesus unless whoever is ministering or the group is coming together and just talking about Jesus? Right now, what we've done is allowed the Holy Spirit to paint Jesus right here. And we're all sitting here, right? We're all hearing the faith. That's the only practical part of the gospel. But you'd be surprised how many people become very upset because I'm just... You know, people, when are we going to talk about something else? When are we going to talk? I mean, one guy recently just come and told me, we got to get to the meat now. And I said, well, tell me what you mean by the meat, right? I said, because Jesus says his flesh is meat indeed. I said, so you tell me what you mean by the meat. And I feel bad for that. He's a young guy, and he's been indoctrinated in nonsense. And so he come with this whole thing about the Nephilim and humans and angels, uh, you know, fornicating together and bringing forth offspring and how that's the great falling away and and all this and i was just like oh my goodness man i said i said i just put it in context i said you know the word nephilim it actually means earthborn it says mighty man it doesn't say mighty hybrid <laughs> mighty men of renown it says right? Earth born. Those who derived their strength from themselves. That's why they were called a mighty man, right? And so immediately the, the, the context is move off of Jesus. I promise you every system of religion and every system in this world will try to get you off of Jesus, yeah. right? Yeah. Off yeah. of Jesus and off of defining everything by the word made flesh in Jesus. And that's that's sad, but it's true. But listen, with that being said, I said it last week. I, I did that little clip, that song, Waymaker. He never stops. He never stops working. I used to look at things like friends, kids, spouse, whatever. And if I saw some spots and blemishes in whatever that was causing problems, I used to get fixated on that as if, what are we going to do? But then I realized that if they're actually part of the body of Christ, mm -hmm. then they have a sinless life. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to find the testimony of their life by what I see here. Just like I find the testimony of my life by looking at Jesus, I'm going to find the testimony of their life by looking at Jesus. And what that says to me is that God is busy forming himself fully in them, and he will not stop until he's done. And I know the Holy Spirit is in the earth doing that with the body of Christ. And so the body of Christ might be scattered here, there, everywhere. There might be massive confusion in, in the doctrine in the body of Christ right now, and it has pained me. But what I know is, is that God is working to bring the body of Christ together into the unity of the faith, and the Spirit is working to do that. So rather than be moved but what I see isn't as it ought to be right now in, in terms of the theology and the body of Christ. I look at the work of God to bring it all together, and I know nothing can stop that from happening, right? Just like I have a certainty that life will manifest in me. If I have a friend that is maybe very confused, but I know they really have Jesus in them and they're dwelling in confusion, I look at them and I walk with them knowing that I have a certainty life will manifest in them. I have a certainty that they will come into the knowledge of the Son of God because God ever liveth to worketh that in them, yeah. right? And I have to remind myself in those moments where I feel sad or grieved or, or frustrated, I get with God and I remember right? I have a certainty that God's working life in the body of Christ, right? And it doesn't mean I stop declaring the truth, but I declare the truth from a place of rest, knowing that God is going to manifest life in the body of Christ, and ain't nothing can stop it, right? And that that tempers my reaction and fills me with patience. It's, right? like, if you, if, it's like if you have a problem and you got the truth, do you focus on the problem and fixing the problem? Or do you really focus on the truth? 
Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that there's not a problem and that you don't care about the problem, but if you, if you look at the problem to think you're gonna fix that problem and you're not fixated on the truth, there's gonna be confusion there. But when your heart and your mind is fixated on the truth and you encounter the problem, you can actually potentially deal with that person yep. and relate to them in a fashion that can have effect. But when you're looking at the issue, you are trying to fix an issue and issues are very, very difficult to resolve, almost impossible to resolve. You can't resolve all the issues or an issue, but you can know the truth and the truth can set somebody free. Yeah. 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 Truth changes facts. Facts cannot change the truth. That's right. Neither can smart arguments because I was I'm a I'm a gifted arguer. I, I really am. And so I listen, I actually engaged with God. I don't know what I was thinking now when I look back, but I actually engaged with God as if I was gonna convince him that he was wrong. And it's a weird thing now when I look back at it because the magnitude of what he convinced me of and me thinking I was gonna convince him is I can't even like weigh it. I can't even weigh its proportions. But I actually thought I was going to convince him with with my much arguments, right? But you can't you can't out argue the truth. I love I mentioned this I think in the message, but I love the uh, the cripple guy right after the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples and it says they were filled with boldness. They find that cripple guy, and he had been made conform to the world, and so there he was. Weakness in his body, impotence in his legs, and he was busy with the cares of the world. And he was busy thinking the care that he needed for his life was the things of the world. And because of that, he's out there asking for money, right? Well, Peter and John come walking up, having been filled with an incorruptible life, having seen their own lives cared for, exceedingly abundantly above all they could ever ask or think. And so they behold this guy. And they see the care this guy needs, even though this guy don't see the care that he needs. And he's asking for silver and gold. Silver and gold have we not. But what we do have, we give to you freely. Right? And what did they do? They bound his death. They bound the sin that was coming against his life. And they imparted to him, they loosed in him an incorruptible life. And that gave his life care. Right? I mean, that's it. Yeah, and like Paul, when he was on his way with his letters to have the Christians killed, I mean, I don't know how much he was thinking, man, that guy, that guy Stephen prayed for me. I mean, I wonder how much he was so confused about that or not even thinking about that and God just shone his light on him, yeah. made him blind and, and God was going to have his way with Paul. Even apart from if, if Paul asked, asked for the knowledge of God, the truth of God to be made known, you yeah. know, but he, he is, he's always working. And this is so great that we're talking about this. Yeah. And, and just for the people on the video, I know what you're saying, Barb, but just for the people on the video, God didn't make Paul blind. Paul was oh. already blind. Oh yeah, you're right. His blindness, His blindness was revealed, right? And, and Jesus, it's a manifestation of what Jesus said in, in, in John chapter 9, where he said, for judgment he came into the earth, that those who think they see would re be revealed to be blind, right, right? right? And to give sight to those who were blind. Huh. And so Paul thought he saw. That's why he was out there killing the Christians, as you say, killing Stephen. If you read in the scriptures, I got a soft spot for Stephen. Yeah. When you read in the scriptures, I mean, it makes a point to talk about how powerfully the Lord was working in Stephen, right? Yeah. And so Paul was so blind to God that he was actually putting to death the people who were representing God, and he was doing it in the name of God, yeah. right? And so he was already blind. And all things are laid bare in the presence of the Lord. Have you guys read that verse? Nothing yes. can hide in the presence of the Lord. That what that that doesn't that's not talking about your bad behavior. It doesn't, yeah. It's not like, well, God sees you when you're over there doing that bad thing. What it means is, is whatever whatever is in you yeah. and what that produces, if you actually stand in the presence of the Lord, that thing will be man, made manifest. That's why the demons were made manifest. 
in the presence of Jesus. He didn't have to do anything. It was already in them. And then here comes Jesus, and what was in them came out, right? That's the same dynamic with Paul. The thing that was in Paul, which was making him blind, was laid bare in the presence of the Lord Jesus, right? And that's what, what, what was going on. Jesus was actually working to remove his scales. He wasn't making him blind. I gotcha. Right? Yeah. yeah. That, I always thought he God did make him blind. That's why right. God that's why God hasn't returned yet. I mean, I preached about this ad nauseum, you know, but God people why didn't Jesus why didn't God just glorify the earth immediately then? Because in the day God comes and shows up, and just like Jesus showed up in the midst of Paul. Whatever is in people and whatever that produces is going to be made manifest. It says God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And so in the moment he comes and stands foot on this earth, whatever is in everyone is going to be revealed. And so if people have iniquity in them, if people have believed on their own works and haven't believed on Jesus, that iniquity and the death it produces is going to be made manifest in them. And God doesn't want them to die. He's long-suffering, not willing for them to perish. So this period of Jubilee is the declaration that you're not in the earth as an orphan. You have a father, and your inheritance is him himself and his indestructible life, right? So that he can get the spirit of his faith in us. Because in the day he shows up, that's why John says, when we see him, we know we, we will be the same as him. That way, when he shows up, what will happen is what's in us is him. And so you know what will be made manifest in us when he shows up? Himself. Right? And so then we'll stand up glorified and mortal. And so God knows this dynamic. That's why he told Moses, Moses, you can't see my face or you'll die. That's why he told Moses, set up a, a parameter around the mountain. Lest the people rush forth towards me and I break forth on them and they die. Lest what's in them come out and be revealed and they die. That's why all the things with how they carried the ark. That's why all the things with how they came into the holiest place. Because in the day you stand in the presence of God, what's in you is coming out. Right? Yeah. It's just the way that it is. It's like the light. The light shines. What happens when you turn on the light? You see everything. Right? And so that's what happens. God is light. And the moment he shows up and the, the switch is flicked on, everything is laid bare. All things are revealed. Right? Hey, is that the is that why I know you probably gotta go? Yeah, I gotta go. Um the earthquake when the earth went and swallowed the people or something that were That was the result of them trusting in their own strength. They were worshiping that idol. Yeah, yeah. That idol served them with death. Yeah. Oh. 